Are we ready? There we go. If that music didn't make you feel welcome, I think that we'll have trouble making you feel welcome. That was amazing. It should be easy to be thankful today on Thanksgiving Sunday when the beauty, beauty of colorful leaves, some still green, is enhanced by the beautiful white background, but somehow it doesn't feel quite right. Nonetheless, we're gathered here in a warm, comfortable place, eager to worship together, to learn together, to be God's people together, and yes, to be thankful people. Welcome. Um, turn in your hymnals with me to song number 94. The words will also be up on the screen. So one of the questions that the groups asked me when we were singing this song was, what does tears mean? Does this really work? So we checked it up, of course, because we have Google. And it says, the tares that Jesus described in this parable are also known as the Darnell seed, which looks almost exactly like wheat in the beginning stages of its growth. But then later on is when you find out it's a weed. So you don't pull it out until you do the weeds, and then you throw the tares into the fire. So that's what the song means. We'll have a quiz later. So the words are also up on the screen. Please stand.
attempt by the worship <coughs> teams, I suppose, that we have here at church to just encourage us to kind of, at the end of the service, after the benediction, take a moment to reflect, a prayer perhaps, as the, we listen to some music. And uh, often the cue to kind of dismiss is either the Mel or Kyle or somebody might be walking down the aisle or the, the verse of the song comes to an end, you'll know your cue at that point. Also, I want to draw attention to next Sunday is the Grace, Thank- Grace Church Thanksgiving service and lunch. So you'll note that we can bring a casserole potluck or bring a um, casserole or a salad and we'll enjoy potluck lunch together. Volunteers are still needed. Condolences to Betty and Herb Coop, Ginny and Richard Willis on the passing of their brother-in-law and uncle, Roly Godreau, and also to Sarah Newfeld and family on the passing of John Newfeld. His funeral will be held here at church on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Then on the back, Grace Women's Morning Coffee, the date has been changed to Wednesday, October 23rd at 10 o'clock in the church foyer. And just also a note about small groups. Have a look at that, and if that interests you, you can be in touch with the church office. The call to worship. Let us speak of mercy and justice, for these are the things that please God. Let us follow the ways of mercy and justice, for they are the ways of peace and community. Let us lift up our hearts in conviction and our voices in commitment and praise to the Lord of peace and the God of justice, the hope and healing of humanity. Can you please stand as we sing hymn number 87? Please stand. The words are in your, in your, um, on the screen as well as in your books, of course.
source of all life, giver of all grace. We thank you for the gift of life, for the breath that sustains life, for the food of this earth that nurtures life, for the love of family and friends without which there would be no life. We thank you for the mystery of creation, for the beauty that the eye can see, for the joy that the ear may hear, for the unknown that we cannot behold filling the universe with wonder, for the expanse of space that draws us beyond the definitions of ourselves. We thank you for setting us in communities, for families who nurture our becoming, for friends who love us by choice, for companions at work who share our burdens and daily tasks, for strangers who welcome us into their midst, for people from other lands who call us to grow in understanding, for children who lighten our moments with delight, for the unborn who offer us hope for the future. We thank you for this day, for life and one more day to love, for opportunity and one more day to work for justice and peace, for neighbors and one more person to love and by whom be loved, for your grace and one more experience of your presence, for your promise to be with us, to be our God, and to give salvation. For these and all blessings we give you thanks. Several years ago, during my sabbatical, Ashley and I went to Chicago to attend a conference called the Why Christian Conference. And the point of this conference was pretty straightforward. They simply invited people from all over the USA and the world to share why they are Christian. This is either a very simple question to answer, but the longer you sit with it, it becomes a little more difficult to answer. I've referred to this conference several times in the past three years here at Grace, and then finally in the springtime I said, why are we not doing this ourselves? And so for the next six weeks we have asked five different people to come forward and simply attempt to answer the question, why are you Christian? And, and it's our hope that you will listen and learn and be inspired, but also that you yourselves will ask this question and find yourselves in their stories. And so I'd like to invite Tamara Rempel to come first. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. God has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Good morning. I am a Christian because I was born into it. That seems to be a straightforward response to this existential question I have been given to wrestle with. It is something I have spent long periods of time considering in the past few months since being asked to share, but also at specific stages in my adulthood. At this point in my life, I am grateful to still call myself Christian. <clears throat> my grandparents on my mom's side answered God's call in their early 40s, sparked by a combination of acute mental distress and a classic Billy Graham book. From all accounts, God completely changed their hearts. My parents responded in their early 20s, resultant of an evangelical sibling and an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group at university. I grew up in the church, originally converted because of the fear of hell's bells, but it didn't take long to hear my calling as God's beloved. I didn't grow up in a Christian community. I had believer friends that I saw at summer camp and wrote letters with throughout the year, I had a loving and encouraging church family. Otherwise, it was God, through the Bible and other readings, that inspired me, comforted me, and often sustained my faith. Bible college provoked the initial unraveling of my faith. Marrying an Enneagram 9 General Conference Mennonite, for whom all things, including faith, are great, continued the deconstruction. Lastly, moving to Steinbeck, 
where Christianity appears to be more of an external value than an internal transformation, combined with entering the ambiguity of midlife, left my faith with very little black or white. Why then do I continue to call myself a Christian? I can speak about small g grace that covers all my sins, or about the expectation to forgive, even to love my enemies. I can articulate how important I think it is to have something outside of myself and my opinions and my feelings to learn from and to be challenged by. I can express how fulfilling and comforting it is to believe in a creative God who cares for the sparrows and the orphans and the widows. But the reason I call myself a Christian still, in a time when it's an increasingly fraught label, is that I cannot do otherwise. I have, throughout the whole of my life, been drawn to faith in a being greater than myself. I have known God's presence and care since childhood. Despite periods of intense darkness and emptiness, I have been and I am beloved. It is that presence which has followed me. It is visible in the natural world, yes, but I can most especially see God when I look at the people around me. Rarely do I find it difficult to see the divine in others. But when I come to church and can equally see suffering and divinity in the people that are gathered here week after week, I believe again in the Christ. While I was reading a book this summer, I came across this passage and thought it fitted my journey perfectly. Levin is the speaker. Bonus points if you can guess the book and the author. This feeling has not changed me, has not made me happier, did not light things up for me all at once as I had hoped. But faith or no faith, I don't know what it is, this feeling has, through sufferings, imperceptibly entered my soul and has found a firm place there. I shall continue to lose my temper, shall continue to argue, continue to express my ideas out of turn. There will still be a wall between the holy of holies of my soul and others. I'll continue to blame others for my own fear and will repent afterwards. Will still fail to understand why I pray and shall continue to pray. But my life now, the whole of my life, irrespective of anything that may happen to me, every minute of it is not only not meaningless as it was before, but has an indubitable meaning of goodness with which it is in my power to invest it. Thank you. Thanks, Tam. And to change gears, I'd like to invite the children forward for a puppet show, after which all the kids ages three through grade eight can go off all of the stampede of children for Children's Church. Good morning, everyone. I'm sure glad to be here this morning, and I'm really looking forward to a visit from Finn. Let's call him, shall we? One, two, three, Finn the Dragon! <laughs> Good morning, Finn. No pain, no gain. <laughs> you know who said that, didn't you? Shh, I sure do. It was... Jesus. Um, Jesus? Yes! <laughs> Jesus? Finn, Arnold Schwarzenegger said that. No pain, no gain wasn't Jesus? It was Arnold Schwarzenegger, a.k.a. the Terminator, a.k.a. turned governor, turned environmentalist? Well, he actually said it when he was a bodybuilder, but yes, that Arnold. He was talking about building up your body. It's hard work, but it's worth it. No pain, no gain. Well, it sounds kind of messed up. How so, Finn? 
Are we good now? Okay, hands to yourself, kids. Thanks. Well, no pain, no gain sounds like two opposites. Pain is a bad thing, and gain is a good thing. Hmm. Are we good, you guys? Hands to yourselves. Thank you. Well, no pain, no gain is they don't go together. They're topsy-turvy. I see. Well, like when Jesus said, happy are the poor. Oh, that's why you thought Jesus said no pain, no gain. Sure, I mean, it sounds like something Jesus would say. Like, happy are the poor. Right, so what's so happy about not having enough money? And happy are those who mourn. Those sound really opposite. Mourning, like being sad, and happiness don't go together. Or blessed are you when you are persecuted. Well, that doesn't sound like a blessing. I wouldn't feel very blessed if somebody beat me up or made fun of me. Um, Finn, I think Jesus was looking at things in a different way. Oh, really? Jesus was talking about God's children. Like you and me? All the people here, yes. Oh, are we going to have enough money? Is there a cut in the puppet budget, Penny? Not that I know of. Oh, are we going to be sad? Or are we going to be persecuted or made fun of? Well, maybe, Finn. I hope not, but maybe. Oh, that's awful. But it's really not, Finn. That's what Jesus was talking about. Huh? God's children are always blessed and always fortunate. Oh, why? Because we're God's children. Oh. And being God's children, being blessed and loved by God, helps us get through the other stuff, even when it's bad. So they aren't opposites? Being happy and not having a lot of money? Being happy and mourning when you're sad? Being persecuted and... God's children are always blessed. In all things, God is with us. The good, the bad, and... The ugly, like Clint Eastwood said. <sighs> Say goodbye, Finn. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> Amen. All right, kids, you can go to Chosen Church now. Thanks for coming. Bye. A reading from Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 9. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, Then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be like the noonday. Happy Thanksgiving to you. A few weeks ago, we had a conversation about being a pastor, and I used a sermon. I'm not going back there too long, but one that you believed my joke about me not using my sermon, but somebody else's. So I apologized for the joke and said, no, it was my sermon. And I went back and took a look at it. And because it was written in August when I candidated here, and it kind of touched a little bit on the theme of Thanksgiving, I thought I would just repeat that sermon. So the first part of my sermon today is that candidating sermon. 
If you want to vote again after you hear that, that's up to you. <laughs> and the second part will be different to reflect 15 years later. Garden time's a special time of year for many people, and that's kind of strange in a way. Why is work special? Why is the prospect of weeding and potato beetles and cutworms something good? Years ago, that wouldn't have been a question. You didn't grow, you didn't eat, and that was sufficient motivation to put seeds in the ground and to grow food. But now we choose whether we want to put up with the hassles of growing our own food. Interesting that gardening, by which we eat, is a hassle. Gardeners enjoy usually projecting the garden. Where are we going to put everything? How much is there going to be? We create beds and try and use every aspect of the garden in order to catch the sunlight and the moisture. Gardeners enjoy usually purchasing the seeds, carrots and peas and potatoes that they like the most. So enthralled, they often come home with way more than they can actually put into the ground. Gardeners enjoy usually getting down to the work, getting into the soil. Some of us enjoy turning it over with shovels rather than machines, although in older age it has me wondering a little bit about that these years. But a shovel slides into the moist spring earth and turns it over almost as easily as chocolate pudding with a spoon. It has a sound as it slices into the earth. I don't even know how to describe what it sounds like because I'm not a poet, but it's a good sound. Turned over, earthworms uncovered attempt to burrow back into their home before robins come along and eat them for lunch. And these worms tell me, without words, that the soil is probably healthy. And the smell of the earth is the moist underside replaces the crust on the top. Again, I don't know quite how to describe it, but again, it's just very good. Once the earth is turned over, it's somewhat relaxing, depending, of course, on your definition of relaxing, to plant the garden over the next few days in the quiet of the evening. Needing to unpack only about a quarter of the seeds that they optimistically bought, gardeners fill the rows or the beds with seeds before rolling back the soil over top, patting it down just a little bit before standing back and taking a good look. And then, in our case, we go camping or fishing. After that, we pull out our lawn chairs, put them up beside the garden, and wait for something to happen. Go out every morning in the sunshine with that cup of coffee to take a look. In the afternoon, coming home from work and having a cold can of coat, taking another look. The farmer who needs rain can see a cloud the size of a pea coming from 20 miles away. The farmer who doesn't, like this fall, or the golfer or the fisher who wants a beautiful day can spot a clear spot at the same distance. Well, the gardener, I think, can see the plant breaking the surface of the ground quick sprouting beans first when others don't know it's even happening yet. Our daughter, Julie, asked us one year after this planting ritual, is the garden going to be green again like it was last year? Oh yes, we assured her, we wouldn't pull the weeds this year either. <laughs> it will be green, Julie. But, and she didn't say this, you're not doing anything to make it happen. You're just sitting in your lawn chair with your cup of hot coffee getting cold or your cold coat getting hot, and nothing's happening. Don't worry, Julie. It's going to be green. And soon after, at the time of year that we've just finished now, produce is going to fill the table. Jesus also said, So, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like this. A farmer goes and scatters the seed on the ground. Then, night and day, whether he's sleeping or gets up, that seed sprouts and grows, though he really doesn't know how. It's like the soil all by itself produces the grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And then when the grain's ripe, he puts a sickle to it, combine because the harvest has come. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is telling people about God's kingdom, which in Mark is understood as God's active reigning, reign over all things, according to one commentary. God's purposes accomplished in the world, particularly in and through God's people, as God works with them. God being in control so that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Mark has Jesus proclaiming in chapter 1, time's up. 
kingdoms here. Change your life and believe in the message. After which we don't find Jesus saying what that is exactly. There's no summary in words to tell us exactly what that means so we can grasp it intellectually. Rather, the kingdom is seen by those around Jesus with ears to hear and eyes to see what's going on. He recruits disciples. He teaches them and the crowds with conviction and authority. He drives out demons, heals the sick, cures lepers, offers forgiveness, associates with those considered sinners, and challenges the status quo, painting a new picture of a new spiritual family. He goes about doing that, which proclaims the kingdom that he says is taking over, that's coming near. This doing is a picture of sorts of the kingdom as announced by Isaiah in the verses that Ed read where all are treated fairly and there's no exploitation in the workplace. Food is shared. Those who do not have a place to live are invited to stay with those who do. The needs of all, yours and the other, are met. Those with ears and eyes have a feast in front of them of all that the kingdom looks and sounds like. The good news that's now a reality will embrace the world because God's kingdom has come in Jesus. Has it? It's been a long time since that proclamation and events since then might not convince us that it has or that it's even near. Some things better, some things much, much worse. Sometimes it's hard to imagine, as hard to imagine, as a green garden two days after planting it. Within the church, we share the pain and the foibles of the humanity that we share. We have all our prejudices and pettiness. Have they been wiped away? Do we always succeed in providing a place where all are welcomed and able to meet God in Jesus Christ, finding the caring community that we all want to be part of? Do we give of all that we have and are because of God's love for us? Always running to God for answers as to how and who we should be as followers of Jesus together? Within ourselves, I'm not always so sure. We struggle to overcome indulgences and addictions and learn patterns of behavior which continue to hurt or even destroy us, those close to us, and by association, those further away. People in a planet affected by how we choose to live or choose not to live. We don't always run to God for forgiveness or grace, mercy and awareness, with knowledge of being beloved as was just mentioned by Tamara, with Christ-like self-giving that would seem to be necessary for life to be different than it is. And in our world, which we might have spoken about in terms of different issues at different times, it's now our climate and climate change. It's spoken of frequently in the election campaign. The global climate strike caught our attention, calling on governments to legislate changes which will save the planet and subsequently us. A lot of doomsday scenarios. The kingdom of God as seen in the church, in us, and in the world. Yet, I say to Julie, as I sit in my lawn chair, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grow, although they don't know how. As if by itself the soil produces the crop, and then, when the grain is ripe, they take the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Shall we stand as we sing uh, Seed Scattered and Sown, number 454 in our songbooks? And of course, the verses are also on the screen. <clears throat> Oh. 
reading from Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 25. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, Jesus said, so what, to what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable can we use to describe it? It's like this. It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. Yet when it's planted, it becomes the largest of all the garden plants, so large that its big branches hold the birds who can perch, with, for, perch underneath them for their shade. As the conversation about climate change has circled around us like a hurricane, I have heard those, particularly younger maybe, parents of younger children whose lives will depend on this planet after I'm gone, express about what will happen to them, what will happen to God's creation and subsequently life in their lives as life goes along. There's a sense of fear and foreboding. The despair is real because things don't look good environmentally doesn't look like the kingdom of God where all have or will or have what they will need to live. Subsequently, it's really hard to live with hope. Hard when it looks like there isn't much. When the black earth looks like just black and barren, nothing sprouting. Hard to listen to someone like me say, live in hope, a garden will go. God's reign is here to bring life. I don't want to make it that simple or pretend that it is simple. It's hard to have hope when things aren't changing fast enough. Hard to live then because we need, I'd say, hope to live. Usually, as Kyle told me last week when we were talking in the office, hope's dependent on seeing something happen, something that we can hope in. If we can see something, some change, some glimmer, then we can hope. Unfortunately, we don't always see enough to give us hope. And maybe it's only then that we see hope's deepest meaning significance and even impossibility when nothing is certain and all we can do is open our hands in the dark waiting for something to grow all we can do is do in hope or do as an act of defiance against the face of despair but do what well, Kyle and myself have been having a friendly back and forth the past days and weeks over what brings hope. Wish you could have been in on our conversation. What doing creates the change that we hope to see? To put it simply, I'm a believer in small things. Mustard seed-like things, like riding bike within a small city like in Steinbach instead of driving all the time. Kyle, well, he's big, joining 10,000 people to pressure government and legislation in a climate change strike. Now, he also does small, riding his bike to buy groceries. And I also believe in big, voting, without being partisan, for legislation that will lead us to change unsustainable lifestyles for a greater good, the good of God's good creation. Yet, I'm a bit skeptical of big, actually, if it doesn't lead to or is inspired by small. He's a bit skeptical of small, as are many others, because in relation to our planet being renewed, we're likely beyond small things actually making a difference. Yet for me, small seeds aren't about the pivotal factor on their own. Rather, they're about acts of hope and engagement and in participation, seed planting that might inspire or become the big trees that we're hoping to see, or that simply give hope because something is in my hands, not just outside of them. 
So to humor myself this morning at being Thanksgiving, a time when we traditionally talk about being thankful for that which keeps us alive, which is food, I wondered about some very small deeds in relation to food and climate change. Food without which we don't live long, and which we won't have if we don't take care of God's creation, because once it's gone, we will no longer sustain that which is growing. So what about some small doing? Number one, grow a garden. Now, it used to be that gardens were both work and sustenance. Now, they're just work. Or they're fun, hobby gardening. We don't connect the work of gardening to sustaining life in our world. Could we? After all, if you grow your vegetables, you know that you're going to eat. If you grow enough, you could blanch, you could store, and you could can so that you actually have food in the winter. And I looked at this display table here, thanks to those who brought it. Maybe we'll do the make and take again next year and we'll have a bigger display. But people have canned, they've baked, they've used stuff from the garden. This is going to be food into the winter. No fossil fuel needed to get to your food to the grocery store. All you need is your energy getting your stuff into the house. It's a small act of energy conservation and emission control to grow your own food. A small act of hope, maybe, but it's also work. But do we really expect to save God's creation without some work? Hmm. Number two, if you can't grow a garden, buy local. The farmer's market in summer here at Steinbach, strawberry U-picks, community-shared agriculture, whereby you can buy baskets of local produce from a vegetable producer here and locally in town or around town. And if you're buying that which you can't grow here, like pears and apples and peaches and plums, buy national. Take a look at the tag and see where it comes from, as Mary Dirksen said this week at our Story Senior with Bible Studies. Buy that which had to use the least fossil fuel to get here. Now I know. Avocados for guacamole. I like that too. Mangoes for salad. I like that too. Bananas for breakfast. They don't grow in Canada. So we'll buy them. But maybe in moderation? Kyle kind of burst my bubble on this during the week when he said that there's some research that said that hauling strawberries en masse from the southern states was more environmentally friendly than a bunch of local farmers with 4x4s hauling fruit and vegetables to the farmer's market. That might be true. I looked all over Google, couldn't find anything. So if it's true, just ignore what I just said. But remember that local still tastes better. Number three, don't eat out for convenience sake too often. We eat out conveniently sometimes when we're traveling to visit my parents in Saskatchewan or our children where they've been. And as we do, I'm always struck by what an environmental disaster that is. All the containers and cups and straws and plastic utensils chucked into the garbage or into the recycling where, if the studies are accurate, only a very small percentage of the stuff actually gets recycled anyways. And, and I won't name which one it was, one of the companies that has these handy, wonderful recycling bins was found to have been dumping it all into the garbage anyway. So you were just being fooled. Now, I've already written this part of my sermon, had written this part of my sermon before I chatted with Audrey this past week, and she told me that in the U.S., certain cities, and I went and checked it, Minneapolis is one of them, they are banning construction of drive-through windows for fast food joints. The focus for this, among other things, is in curbing emissions and reducing litter. So, when we're tired of cooking, or when we're traveling, or when we're hauling kids around to activities, it's just so easy to stop and eat on the go. Sure, we'll eat out on the go at times, but moderation, maybe? And four, be thankful for this food, simple and basic as it is, this food. Enid's been working in Brazil for the past two weeks, one to go. When I ask her about the food that she's been eating, it's interesting to hear about how good and healthy it is. Beans, rice, veggies, and meat. She sent a picture of it. The same meal every day with some variation. Very interesting that whether living in lower income neighborhoods in Brazil like we did years ago, or higher income neighborhoods where Enid's now working, the food is just kind of the same. It's healthy and it's always basic and good. While we like it, 
we don't necessarily need to have different meals regularly. Variety is supposed to be gravy. It's dessert. The exception, the treat. Maybe a staple of basic, good, healthy, accessible food is all we really need. Thanksgiving is the time to simply be thankful for this food, that which is in front of us, local, basic, sustainably acquired. Just thanks, Lord, for this food in front of us. Thanks that we have food in front of us. Deep gratitude for this. Not for what we'd like, simply for what we have. Because we do all have. Growing, buying, avoiding, and thanking won't necessarily save God's good creation. Especially if practiced only in small amounts, which it would be if a few of us would choose to do that. But they are seeds Small seeds, hands-on seeds of hope that, if practiced, will grow by God's grace. How big? Who knows? Unfortunately, I can't say. But by faith and hope, grow they will. So I hope that you can go and grow and buy and avoid and give thanks in God's good name and in hope this Thanksgiving. Amen. Would you join me in prayer, please? God, it is easy for us to forget in all our affluence that you are the source of joy for all humanity. It is easy for us to get caught up in the culture of consumption. We confess that too often we do forget and are the world's leaders in consumption. Forgive us our arrogance and insensitivity to our place in the destruction of the earth. Remind us that you call us, in hope, to be stewards and caretakers of the earth and all that is in it. Remind us to make time for one another. Create in us a burning desire to care for creation and those whom you have created. We pray for those in our congregation who face some difficult challenges. We pray for Patty, who desires a diagnosis and treatment. We pray for Shirley Joy's strength and healing. We pray for Sarah Neufeld, who continues her life journey without John. Be her comfort and guide. We pray for John and Karen, far from home and seeking community. We are grateful for the care provided for those who need personal care homes and pray that Jake and Abe will find some daily joy in their homes. We are grateful for Soups On and pray for continuing strong relationships between staff, volunteers, and guests. And we pray for the displaced in the world, from Afghanistan to Syria to Yemen. People are unable to live in peace, and many must flee their homes. We cry for peace. We lament for justice. We pray for the needs of all these refugees. God, Thanksgiving is a time of harvest. We are keenly aware of the link between food security, stewardship of the land, and weather events. Today, we think of farmers who are waiting to harvest the last of their crops. As the rain and snow continue to soak their land, the chances of anxiety and despair increase. Walk with our local farmers and farmers around the world whose crops are at risk. We also think of all those in Manitoba who are without electricity. We are grateful for emergency workers who will give up family time to provide assistance. As we prepare to give our gifts, we pray, open our eyes, Lord, to the modern yoke, the burden of our consumer culture, the debt that holds people fast, the myth of success which has us by the throat. We confess that we are trapped. You offer the possibility of release. You loose the shackles of greed, freeing us from the urge to acquire at any cost, relieving us from the treadmill of busyness. We are your new releases, telling a story for this generation. Feeding the hungry, we whisper peace. Clothing the naked, we murmur hope. 
sheltering the homeless, we declare your faithfulness. Offering our gifts, we commit ourselves to stewardship. Amen. Wow, we have a beautiful earth. Let's keep it that way. Um, Hymn number 48 as our final song. Let's um, stand and sing and remain standing for the benediction, please. We'll be singing verses 1, 2, 4, and 7. Okay, so not all seven verses.
just before the benediction, a quick reminder to those who uh, brought something for make and take, don't forget to take part. And now the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the broad expanse of God's love and the abundance of God's riches shape your perspective on your own life and needs, including those things which disappoint you. May the eyes of your heart be open to all the blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce a harvest of generosity in your spirit. May thankfulness rise up within you, not just during this short season, but day after day, from the early morning until you retire for the night. May your prayers reflect gratitude while also acknowledging the needs of others whose situations are so drastically different. May thoughts of Jesus fill your mind and hunger for God drive your soul and love for the Lord guide your speech and your actions. And finally, may the grace, peace, and love of God protect, defend, and empower you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen. Amen.